Amen. Exodus chapter 37, this continued description of the construction of uh, the tabernacle. Uh, so this is a tent. It's a mobile, um, uh, I say tent, it's a mobile building that they construct. Uh, all of these panels that we're going to see described, made of wood, overlaid with gold. They interlock and form this structure, and then they cover all of that with uh, fabric and skins so we're going to see all of this uh, described in some detail, and there is a, a significant point to what we're going to cover. So 37 verse 1, then Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits, that's about three and three quarters feet, was its length, a cubit and a half its width, two and a quarter feet there, a cubit and a half, again, two and a quarter feet, its height. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and out, made a molding of gold all around it, and he cast for it four rings of gold to be set in its four corners. Two rings on one side and two rings on the other side of it. He made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He put the poles into the rings at the side of the ark to bear the ark. He also made the mercy seat or the lid of pure gold, two and a half cubits, that's three and three quarters feet was its length, and a cubit and a half, two and a quarter feet its width. He made two cherubim of beaten gold, he made them of one piece at the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub at one end on this side, the other cherub at the other end on that side. He made the cherubim at the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. Cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings. They faced one another. The faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat, looking in with their wings outstretched towards one another. Uh, this um, mercy seat, the lid being solid gold and its description here, weighed around 700, 750 pounds of solid gold. So you go home and look at, you know, 16 ounces in a pound. Uh, what's the price of gold uh, per ounce uh, currently? That's just the mercy seat. Uh, you know, the entire Ark of the Covenant overlaid with gold. Uh, the panels, uh, the two and a half, quarter feet wide, 15 feet high that we're going to see overlaid with gold. So, uh, you know, magnificent to say the least uh, to, to see and to look at. Um, it's described uh, in history when the enemies would see the children of Israel carrying the ark in exposed sunlight. It itself, uh, in being so reflective, had a radiant glory uh, other than the Lord in his presence, just in its, its beauty. He also made, in verse 17, the lampstand of pure gold, of hammered work. He made the lampstand, its shaft, its Branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and its flowers were of the same piece. The six branches came out of its sides. Three branches of the lamp on one side, three branches of the lamp on the other side, with a center lamp in the middle of it. We'll see how that's described here in a moment. These were the three bowls. There were three bowls made like almond blossoms, on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. Three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. So for the six branches coming out of the lampstand and on the lampstand itself were four bowls made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. There was a knob under the first two branches of the same a knob under the second two branches of the same a knob under the third two branches of the same according to the six branches extending from it their knobs and their branches were of one piece all of it was one hammered piece of pure gold and he made it its seven lamps its wick trimmers and its trays of pure gold of a talent of pure gold he made it with its utensils so the oil lamp stand, we shouldn't think of this as some of our translations render it as being a candle stand. It wasn't for candles. This was what we often see as the Middle Eastern lamp itself shaped almost like an almond 
has a port in the top of it to fill with oil, a wick at the end, and they would light that. This is a lamp, an oil lamp stand that's being described here. Has seven lights, one in the center, as I said, six arms, three on each side. That's the actual menorah. The Hanukkah menorah that you may have seen from time to time have nine lights with eight arms, a center, four on each side. It's an entirely different significance regarding uh, the Maccabean Wars and how the Lord miraculously made the oil for their lamps, and in particular the lamps within the worship. Uh, uh, the, the oil didn't run out. The oil didn't burn out during that period of time. So another uh, lesson in history, uh, if you uh, get an opportunity to read uh, the books of Maccabees, it contains a description of the Maccabean Wars and uh, the menorah and the lights that are there. So, uh, verse 25 of chapter 37, he made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit, so a foot and a half, and its width the same. A cubit, it was square, and two cubits, three feet, was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with pure gold. The, the corner uh, is what's being referred to when it talks about the horns, the curled corners. Its top, its sides all around, and its horns. He also made for it a molding of gold all around it. He made two rings of gold for it under its molding by its two corners on both sides. Its holders for the poles uh, with which to bear it. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Uh, the incense put upon this beaten into a fine powder uh, with the fire upon it would just erupt into a cloud of smoke. We've talked about this a couple of times. Uh, the people of Israel would uh, know that prayer had begun in the tabernacle when they saw the smoke uh, ascending out of the tabernacle from the incense that was being burned. So, um, you know, a symbol of our prayers we see in the book of Revelation there in the throne room uh, that the angel of the Lord uh, places the incense on the altar and it erupts into smoke that fills the throne room of God. And it says there that that is mingled with the prayers of the saints. So the idea of the smoke rising are prayers rising to the Lord, all of this symbolic of the throne room of God. So uh, to close 37, verse 29, he also made the holy anointing oil and pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer, which was described earlier. Remember that uh, the Lord had specifically said, when you make the incense and you make the anointing oil, which were very similar in their recipe as far as the fragrance goes, one being an oil, the other being a solid incense. Uh, the Lord said, those are mine. That's my recipe. And no one can even try to imitate it. If they're trying to reproduce what is my fragrance, uh, then they're to be put to death. He was that serious about ensuring that his worship had a very distinct signature to it that belonged to only him. You're not going to find that fragrance or uh, that smell elsewhere. So if, if you look at uh, chapter 38, verse 1, he made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Uh, five cubits was its length and five cubits, seven and a half feet. Its width, it was square. Its height was three cubits, uh, four and a half feet. He made its horns on its four corners. The horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. Now, before we move on, bronze is uh, a symbol of judgment. Uh, we see these things throughout the scripture. Um, you know, one of the easiest ways to describe it is, uh, for instance, you know, the dove represents peace. You know, the olive branch, you know, the offering it might make uh, given in peace came from the fact that Moses released the dove out of the ark and that bird is not going to rest on floating dead carcasses like the raven uh, that went out previously 
Uh, it's going to need to rest on the ground. It's going to eat vegetation. It's going to eat gravel in order to digest uh, its food. That's why you see them on the dirt roads in the evening is because they're actually pecking at the gravel to help with their digestive process. And what is that bird returned to Noah with? The olive branch, signifying that the flood is over, the ground's begun to dry up, the vegetation has begun to grow. In other words, God's wrath is finished and peace has come. Brass or bronze always symbolizes judgment. There are several occasions, the book of Revelation, when John sees Jesus, his feet are as burnished brass, highly polished brass. Uh, Later, Jesus says that with those feet, he has been trampling out the grapes of wrath. (laughs) Then we learn that what he's been trampling are human beings. His clothes are stained with blood because he's been pronouncing his judgment as humanity is experiencing massive waves of death because they rebel against God. So here, uh, as you come to this place where the altar is to receive the sacrifice overlaid with bronze, he made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, the fire pans, all its utensils were made of bronze. He made a grate of bronze network for the altar under its rim midway from the bottom he cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze grate as holders for the poles and he made poles of acacia wood overlaid them with bronze then he put poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which he excuse me to bear it he made the altar hollow Uh, with boards so that inside with that grate as they built the fire and offered the sacrifices the ash would be able to fall out through the bottom Uh, so you know just a practical method for them to be able to continue to perform sacrifice now 38 verse 8 says he made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they didn't have glass uh, as we do today, not in the same way that we do today. Uh, And mirrors were made of hand hammered metal and then highly polished. Uh, You know, looking at this uh, comes to mind that if all of these women in the desert with no other opportunity, are giving up their mirrors, ladies, as a pretty valuable tool to just be surrendering uh, to the work of the Lord. Remember that when they had requested uh, that people give to the work of building the tabernacle, earlier in chapter 36, it was actually described that they had to request that people stop giving because they had too much. Uh, Bezalel and Holiab uh, were literally saying, we, we can't take any more. You need to tell the people. You need to put up a public announcement that tells people to stop bringing. An interesting frame of mind, given that the Lord had previously said through Moses uh, that the only giving should be done from the people who had a willing heart to do so. If people weren't you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit and desirous of giving to the Lord, then they should refrain and keep those things for themselves. And the giving is so abundant, they have to stop them. These ladies gave their mirrors. Uh, In Acts chapter 19, uh, in verse 19, it says, Many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You know, when the Holy Spirit moves upon a group of people, they're willing to give uh, to the Lord in great abundance. I, I guess that was a bad example. I just likened, you know, cosmetics to witchcraft, but I, you know, that wasn't my mind. You understand that when people's hearts are moved, these people were all into this magic and all into. In the book of Acts, their sorcery they were involved in, and they they quickly and easily and willingly surrender it to the Lord at great cost. 
they give it to the Lord. These ladies do the same as they surrender their bronze mirrors in order to have this laver built. Now the laver, uh, this big basin, a huge basin that was uh, built, all these mirrors uh, melted together and then hammered out, highly polished when the priests came in to perform their duties, be it incense or offering or otherwise, they would come to the laver and they would wash before going. They, they are being cleansed as they stare at a reflection of themselves. That's something to be said about God's word. The way that it shows us ourselves so accurately. Sometimes it's very painful. Okay, we can see all the flaws, and yet there's the cleansing in the process. It's not my, you know, metaphor. This is the Lord's allegory that He's developing here for us to see. We need to have that self-reflection in order to be cleansed. If we can't look at our own hearts and accurately recognize who we are, then we diminish the degree to which we can be cleansed. So allow the Lord to minister to you in that process. 38.9 Then he made the court on the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long, 150 feet. There were 20 pillars for them with 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars bands uh, were silver. On the north side, the hangings were 100 cubits long, again, 150 feet with 20 pillars and their 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver, and on the west side there were hangings of 50 cubits, 75 feet, with 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. For the east side, the hangings with 50 cubits, 75 feet. The hangings of one side of the gate were 15 cubits, long, uh, 22 and a half feet, with three pillars and their three sockets. The same for the other side of the court. On this side, there were hangings of 15 cubits again, 22 and a half feet, with their three pillars and their three sockets. All the hangings of the court all around were of fine woven linen. The sockets for the pillars were bronze. Uh, the hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. Overlay of their capitals was silver, so the the, the footing bronze, the um, you know the the pillars being silver, overlaid with uh, this uh, silver in the top, the the capital placed upon the top of it silver, also overlay the capitals with silver. All the pillars of the court had bands of silver. The screen, uh, the tent flap, the opening, the gate. The screen of the gate of the court was woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen. The length was 20 cubits, uh, 30 feet as it were. The height along its width was 5 cubits, 7.5 feet, uh, corresponding to the hangings of the court. And there were four pillars with their four sockets of bronze. Their hooks were silver and the overlay of their capitals and their bands with silver. All the pegs of the tabernacle and the court all around were bronze. Now, this symbolism of beauty and God's presence combined with his judgment also. 38.22, this is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle, tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So uh, you're, everything you've read previously, this is the uh, summary. Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. I underlined that. Uh, all that the Lord had commanded Moses. This wasn't Moses' imagination. They didn't take a poll amongst the people and say, now, what would you like it to look like? Uh, what... Would you like to see woven into the fabric? How would you be comfortable if you came in? None of that was uh, taken into consideration. This was done exactly according to what the Lord had heard. You've got to have a very clear understanding of what the Lord wishes if you're going to do it exactly according to what the Lord has said. That means you're going to have to spend time with the Lord. And that's how Moses has acquired all of these plans. 
continuously going into the presence of the Lord. Uh, so it is with our lives. Are there things that you'd like to see? The presence of the Lord clearly defined, his ornate beauty woven in throughout your whole life. That's not going to come from your imagination, your thought process. That comes when we shut our mouth and we go into the presence of the Lord and we inquire of him and he says to us, we take careful note of what he says and then we obediently accomplish what he's told us. That's how those things are accomplished. So this was all done according to what the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach and the tribe of Dan, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread of fine linen. Verse 24, all the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is, the gold of the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels. I know you're doing the calculations in your mind. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, make sure you don't use the common shekel. You've got to use the shekel of the sanctuary. And the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca of for each man that is half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above, for 603,550 men. So again, when you hear people doubt how vast the nation of Israel was when they left out of their captivity in Egypt, here, sometime later, they've numbered all of the men who were 20 years old and older and there are 603,550 men. So uh, the population is massive at this point. And from the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. One hundred sockets from the hundred talents, one talent for each socket. Then from the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars, overlaid their capitals, and made bands for them. So, a little bit of discussion before we move on. 29 talents. Now, some estimate a talent to being equal to around 70 pounds. So, a single talent being 70 pounds, 32 kilograms. This means there was something like 2,030 pounds of gold involved in this process. So now go do some calculations as to what's being provided for here. It's a, quite a remarkable tabernacle to say the least. The offering of bronze was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. And with it, he made the sockets for the doors of the tabernacle of meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it, all the utensils of the altar, the sockets for the court all around, the bases for the court gate, all the pegs for the tabernacle, and all the pegs for the court all around. Now, this is just the tabernacle, right? When you get to the New Testament and you see the temple that was constructed, there it was larger and there was far more gold involved in that construction that's what, than what's involved here. Uh, the entirety of the courtyard around the temple was a polished white marble. So when you hear of Jesus speaking at the colonnade, there was uh, you know, a column all the way around the entire outside of the courtyard with uh, you know, matching pillars and a roof. Over the top of that, all of that was polished marble. From a distance, the entire temple overlaid with gold and all of that white polished marble, it was often mistaken for being a snow-capped mountain. As people would come into the city and see it from a distance, at first glance, it was blinding, brilliant, and white. And you'd have to look more carefully to realize that it was a building. I bring it up because 70 A.D., when it was destroyed 
by the Romans, some say accidental, others say purposely, because Roman soldiers were allowed to harvest from their conquest as part of their pay. So they could go and pillage through the destruction. The order had been given to not destroy the temple, but they burned it the same anyway. If it burns and the gold melts, then they have the opportunity to recover it. Jesus had said, Matthew chapter 24, to the apostles, speaking of that beautiful temple, there's coming a day where not one stone will be left upon another here upon this mount. Once the temple had burned, the Roman soldiers came back. They're the ones that completely dismantled the temple mount in order to retrieve the gold. Here, 2,030 pounds of gold just in the construction of the tabernacle. The tabernacle much larger. No goat skins and woven fabric overlaid the tabernacle, the actual temple. It was overlaid with solid gold. So, magnificent beauty, incredible wealth. Chapter 39, verse 1. Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. So they had these particular uh, garments that were given to the high priests and the priests who would go inside the tabernacle. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together, all that weight. It was coupled together as it's at its two edges. And the intricately woven band of his ephod that was on it was of the same workmanship. Woven of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. Blue, symbol of the sky, thought you know, to be the dwelling place of God. Gold, you know, his wealth and majesty. Purple, the sign of royalty. The priest is to stand in all of this beauty as he ministers before the Lord. Verse 6, they set onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel, as we'd read previously. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So bearing the names upon his shoulders, the weight of uh, the tribes of Israel upon the priest's shoulders. Also the idea that when the Lord looked down upon the priest, he would see the names there uh, borne upon the shoulders of the priest. He made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread of fine woven linen. They made the breastplate square by doubling it. A span was its length, the span of a man's hand. A span, its width, when doubled, and they set in it four rows of stones. A row with sardis, topaz, and emerald was the first row. Second row, a turquoise, sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, jasaneth, and agate, and an amethyst. The fourth row, biral, and onyx and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold in their mountings. There were 12 stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names, engraved like a signet, each one with its own name according to the 12 tribes. So again, the names upon his chest, the idea of it being over his heart, you know, that it would be near to his heart, that he would be mindful of it also that anyone on earth that looks upon him would see the beauty of that and the names engraved there upon the chest of the priest. They also made two settings of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate and they put the two braided chains of gold and the two rings on the ends of the breastplate. The two ends of the two braided Chains were fastened to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front and they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edges of it, which was 
on the inward side of the ephod. He made two other gold rings and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. They bound the breastplate by means of the rings to the rings of the ephod with the blue cord so that it would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod, that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. So affixed, fastened to his chest. 39.22, he made the robe of the ephod of woven work all of blue, and there was an opening in the middle of the robe, like the opening of a coat of mail. So it's all one woven piece and would have to be lowered down over in order for its head to come through like a coat of mail, like a woven binding all around the opening, uh, you know, the collar, so that it would not tear. They made on the hem of the road pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet of fine woven linen. They made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, all around the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord had commanded Moses. The tradition came later that when the high priest went in to make the offering before the Lord, they would tie a rope around his leg. And those that were ministering with him would stand outside and they would listen to the bells jingling on the bottom of his robe as he brought the blood in and poured it upon the mercy seat and prayed and stood before the Lord. The thought was that if the bells stopped jingling, then the priest's offering had not been accepted and had been struck dead by the Lord. And then they would pull him out with the rope tied around his leg because no one except for the high priest could enter in behind the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. It's tradition. We don't know for certain that that took place, but we do see those throughout history uh, that touched the Ark of the Covenant and were struck dead by the Lord. So certainly have to have a holy reverence to go in before him and make your presentation. 39.27, they made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, a turban for or excuse me, of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, and a sash of fine woven linen with blue, purple, and scarlet thread made by a weaver as the Lord had commanded Moses. So similar in their appearance to what the priest is wearing. Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holiness, to the Lord. So this is worn upon his head and should be the condition of his heart when he goes in to minister before the Lord, receive the Lord's forgiveness and grace, and then be allowed to be the holiness before the Lord. They tied to it a blue cord to fasten it above the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. Again, you're hearing that over and over. I mean, I'm sort of railing through this because we've read a lot of this, but you hear that statement, as the Lord had commanded Moses, as the Lord had commanded Moses. It isn't that he's made up his own mind and created these things in and of himself. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The covering of ram's skin dyed red, the covering of badger skin, the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony with its poles, the mercy seat, the table, and all its utensils, and the showbread. The pure gold lampstand with its lamps, the lamps set in order, all its utensils and, and the oil for light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grate of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the labor with its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its sockets, the screen for the court gate, its cords, its pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, 
garments of ministry to minister in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and his son's garments to minister as priest. Very detailed description. 42 says, according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it, as the Lord had commanded. Just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. We're almost there. Chapter 40, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony, uh, the ark of the covenant, uh, the partition of the ark of with the veil. You shall bring the table and, the, and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. You shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle uh, of the tent of meeting, and you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screens at the court gate. So they're preparing for this first moment of worship in the tabernacle. You shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. Now, before we move on, this is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, God's presence upon them and these things. And the Lord is saying, I want everything anointed with oil. Uh, you're going to have to bathe this whole process in the symbol of my Holy Spirit, is what he's saying. We, especially as New Testament Christians, should understand this. That all we do in worship must be bathed in the Holy Spirit. Can't, can't be done out of any work of the flesh. And the Lord's going to be very particular about that. Particularly with Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu later. We'll talk about that. So, here, anoint everything with oil. Anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. You shall hallow it in all its utensils, and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, a singular purpose. You don't have barbecues and roast your burgers on this also. This is only to be used for the Lord. Set it aside. Consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the laver in its base and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. You shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. So uh, this, again, symbol of everything anointed with oil, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Thus, verse 16, Moses did, according to all the Lord had commanded him. So he did. You're hearing it over and over, aren't you? According to what he had seen, that's according to what he did. According to what he had heard, that's according to what he had done. According to what he had been shown, that is what he did. He and the people. That happens when... A spiritual leader is following the Lord. Those that are being led by him do the same thing. If you are truly a person who is following the Lord, those that are supposed to follow you will follow you if you're following the Lord. I hear this all the time. Oh, you know, my marriage and my wife, she won't follow me. Are you following Christ? Well, the scripture says she has to follow me. It says that she has to follow you in the Lord. If you're not in the Lord, she doesn't have to follow you. That's straight up truth. You know, so often you know, people come to me, oh, that wife, these kids, what's dad doing? What's the head of the household? No dad, what's mom doing? We set, we set the spiritual atmosphere in our home. Hear me this morning. If you're surrendered to Christ, your home will be also. These kids are tyrants. Bow your knees to the Lord. Turn your heart to him. Let him govern your household. As thus Moses did, according to all the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Verse 17, it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, 
that the tabernacle was raised. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its board, boards, put in its bars, raised up its pillars, and he spread out the tent over the tab tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it in the ark, the, the uh, uh, Ten Commandments upon the stone, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering and the partition off the ark of the testimonies the Lord had commanded Moses, following everything to a T. Verse 22, he put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Also referred to as the table of the presence, and the bread also referred to as uh, the bread of the presence. Uh, the presence of the Lord provides what you need. This morning, John chapter 4, food I have that you don't know anything about. The presence of the Lord. The bread being there, referred to as the presence of the Lord. It's not a present for the Lord, right? Each one of those loaves is to symbolize the, the tribes within Israel. The, God, the Lord's presence is going to be the thing that feeds us, sustains us. Even our food will come from that. And once we get into the right relationship with the Lord, we begin to recognize all that I have comes from the Lord. My sustenance is, in fact, God, right? I hear people say, oh, I lost my job. I had to quit my job. I had to change my job. I'll quickly point out to them, you know, that job has not provided for you all these years. That's the mindset, isn't it? Oh, this company, that company, that job. That, no, no, no. That job did not provide for you. The Lord provided for you. He used that job, and he'll find the next thing, and he'll provide for you. Maybe that's the whole reason the Lord is doing whatever he's doing in those circumstances, to teach us that he is our provider, not the business, not the job, not the thing. It's the one that we worship. So here, set up that tabernacle, the bread set in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle. The only illumination inside this tent a very heavy fabric all over. There's no light from outside inside here. This is just the lampstand, which is going to provide illumination. He lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil and burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle and he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the meeting, of the tent of meeting, and offered upon it the burnt offering and grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the laver between the tabernacle of a meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting, and when they came near the altar, they washed, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and hung up the screen, the court of gates. So Moses finished work. Now drop right down to verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. Glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. The cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. It was not one particular person or group of people's imagination that they supposed they had seen this glory of the Lord in the, the pillar of smoke and the, the pillar of fire. All of the nation saw this. Everyone experienced it. And it is, in fact, much more than what we commonly think. It tells us that that pillar provided the entire nation with shade, coolness, 
And think about being out there in the wilderness in that Middle Eastern heat with no protection. The cloud provided shade and it was warm at night. So desert air, open sky, sun sets and it drops down very cold. Not so. The Lord actually kept them cool in the heat of the day and warm in the cold of night with his presence. His presence provided all of this to them. It must have been an amazing thing to experience the coming of what they refer to as the Shekinah, the glory of God descending upon the tabernacle. Now, I don't want you to drift. I want to close with one thought this morning. You know, we often hear things like this and think, I wish I could have something like that in my life. I want, you know, to know the presence of the Lord right there. Maybe it's not cloud or fire, but I can look at my circumstances and see God is definitely with me. God is, you know, amongst us, in my church, in my family, in my life. I'm in the presence of the Lord. We want to know that. I'll submit to you again, the way that that occurred for these people was through obedience. Moses went and he saw and he heard and he knew from the Lord. I want you to think about that. He went, he saw, he heard, and he knew. Saw, heard, and knew. It isn't mentioned here at all how he felt. His emotions were not involved in this. I just love it when... No, that's not going on. It's strict obedience is what brings this glorious presence of the Lord. You and I know here this morning that they've gone through all this process and think about it. Everybody's all into the work, right? They've given so much that they've had to say, stop giving. When does that ever happen? And they finally get to the place where they've built the thing, right? And everybody's kind of, you know, national, patriotic, religiously. And then the glory descends. That's got to be an amazing emotional experience. But the amazing emotional experience didn't produce all of this. Obedience. Getting in the presence of the Lord and hearing with great clarity, seeing with great clarity, knowing with great clarity what to do in order to obey the Lord. The obedience is what produces that great emotional experience. So much of the church is just chasing after the next emotional experience, right? You listen to Hillsong, that's some emotional music. You listen to, you know, Elevation Worship, that's some emotional music. You listen to Bethel music, that's some emotional music. Their doctrine is so messed up, you can't even believe it. I'm not talking mildly, right? There's a whole bunch of other guys that sing and entertain and perform for us, lead us in worship, and great. I'm telling you right now, you don't want to follow Bethel music, Elevation music, Hillsong music, doctrinally at all. Not at all. Even in their songs, they're producing. The church is engaged in emotion. Oh, just such a wonderful, beautiful song. Have you listened to what they're saying? Because much of what they're saying doesn't line up with God's word at all. Not at all. You know, now Hillsong promoting evolution. You know, when questioned about it, even making smug statements about it. You know where you're going to find the voice of God? You're going to see the voice of God. You're going to hear and know the voice of God with clarity. In his word. That's why it's so hard to get into it every day. Because your flesh rebels against it. And you have a spiritual enemy that tries to drive you away from it. Saul, greatest king ever anointed in Israel. right? First king as far as... Height, stature, prowess. Everybody followed that man. He rebelled against the Lord. He did not do the will of the Lord. The prophet Samuel comes and confronts him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel said, 
Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Follow this, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. You want the presence of the Lord? You want the glory of the Lord? You want the fulfillment of the Lord in your life? It's found in obedience. How do you know how to obey? Find it in the word. The Lord has given us his word and protected it so that we can know his will and his desire. Make sense? We'll pick up in Leviticus Next week, I know you're really excited. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We'll embark upon the law next week. Find yourself in obedience this week and watch the glory of the Lord work in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, you are so good to us. We do not deserve it. It is humbling, Lord. We see these things, we hear these things. We can even be convicted by them. The thought that perhaps we're not being obedient. Maybe there's some gross sinner in our lives that we've allowed and compromised over. Honestly, Lord, at times, so many feel powerless to do anything about being obedient to you. I pray once again, you would lend every one of us that anointing. Pour your Holy Spirit out upon us this morning. Fill us to overflowing with your Spirit. Give us the strength to live according to your word. We want your blessing. We want your presence. But we have to openly confess that our flesh, our own hearts, work in rebellion against you. Lord, we don't want to be engaged in that. We want to experience what you want us to experience. Guide us as your children. Fulfill us as our Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.